the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. If God always prevented us from ever experiencing any heartache, any difficulty, any trial, we would never know. We would never know. So what God does is, I'm sure, prevent us from experiencing things. And we need to regularly thank God for things that He's saved us from that we don't even know. But we will often most recognize His saving grace because He keeps us through in the midst of it. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. While many of us would prefer not to experience the trials and hardships of life, some of the best lessons we learn are from such times. As believers and followers of Christ, it's often when we go through difficulty that we see the hand of God in our lives. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches that while God can indeed keep you from trying times, He's just as capable to keep you through them as well. In his study, you'll learn how God often uses the trials of life as a means of revealing Himself to His own. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26, as he continues his message, Perfect Peace. In May 14th, 1948, in part, this was fulfilled, the reestablishment of Israel coming back together. And then this amazing prophecy here in verse 6 where he says, because Jacob will take root and Israel will bud and blossom, they will fill all the world with fruit. You know, amazingly, that Israel, smaller than the state of New Jersey, but is the 15th largest on the list of of the most productive in terms of exports in value of all the countries on the planet, Israel is 15th in the export of fresh fruits and vegetables around the world. Among all the countries in the world, smaller than the state of New Jersey, has God not caused Israel to bloom and blossom and spread fruit around the world? It has. We see part of this fulfilled even in our own lifetime. And it wasn't always like this. Before the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948, listen to what Mark Twain wrote when he visited Israel in 1867 about just how devastated the land looked. This is what he wrote in his book, The Innocents Abroad. Mark Twain wrote, quote, A desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent mournful expanse, a desolation, 
We never saw a human being on the whole route, hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country, end quote. Well, that's what Mark Twain saw in 1867. But since the reformation of Israel in 1948, my, how God has caused the land of Israel to be fruitful, to even bless much of the rest of the world. All right, so that's the overview of this section Isaiah prophesies about things that are to come, the judgment and destruction of the earth, punishment of the wicked, reestablishment of Israel, the coming of the kingdom. Nestled right in the middle of all of this are these verses we started with from chapter 26. Look again at your Bibles. I'll put them up on the screen. Verses 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Now, the fact that that these verses are nestled right in the middle of all this apocalyptic information speaks to me in two ways. Number one, what it says to me that is, is this, in the midst of tribulation, capital T, because there will be a time of tribulation that comes upon this earth. That's what we read about. In the midst of tribulation, capital T, God's people will have peace. And God's people will have peace in large part because when you read the whole counsel of Scripture, we won't be here for the tribulation. That God will take us from the earth and keep us safe, that we will not experience His wrath, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, among other verses that speak about how we will not experience His coming wrath. Okay, so we will experience this peace during the Great Tribulation, capital T, but it also says this to me. That the reason I think why Isaiah has this right where he does is because he wants everybody who will ever read this to know that God's people in the midst of tribulation, small t, will experience God's peace. You and I will experience over the course of our lifetime tribulation, small t, various trials, various difficulties various heartaches, things that we go through that we didn't imagine and weren't prepared for. And God wants us to know that even in tribulation small t, that's comparatively to tribulation coming upon the earth, not to diminish whatever you're going through. But God wants us to know that even through tribulation small t, His perfect peace will be with us. His perfect peace will be with us. So I want to unpack this passage with us. The first thing I want us to focus on, I highlight the words, you will keep. You will keep. Now the you in this passage obviously is God. God will keep. Because God is a keeping God. And the Hebrew word for keep is natsar. In the original Hebrew language, natsar. God is a keeping God. Natsar. It means to protect. It means to guard. That God will guard us in all our ways, and God will protect us in all our ways, because He is a keeping God. Now, don't misunderstand me. When we talk about God being a keeping God, it does not necessarily mean that He will keep you from. Sometimes He will. But we also need to appreciate His keeping power through. Sometimes God keeps us from, sometimes God keeps us through. You know, the default for all of us is, God, spare me from going through anything difficult. Keep me from. God is a keeping God, and he will often keep us from. But if all he ever did was to keep us from, 
How would we ever see his mighty hand? He has to keep us through in order for us to recognize his grace and his power and his provision for us. Now, I mean, think about it. If God always prevented us from ever experiencing any heartache, any difficulty, any trial, we would never know. We would never know. So what God does is, I'm sure, prevent us from experiencing things. And we need to regularly thank God for things that he's saved us from that we don't even know. But we will often most recognize his saving grace because he keeps us through in the midst of it. You know, take the story, for example, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon at that time. It's the most powerful kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar commands everybody to fall down and worship me. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. These three Jewish boys who were taken against their will from the land of Israel as slaves, they are now in the king's palace serving there as part of the king's team there. They refuse to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar because they will only worship the one true and living God. So he throws them into this fiery furnace. Many of you know the story. It's often reduced to just a children's story, which is kind of weird when you think about it because, hey, kids, look at these three kids thrown into the fire. (laughs) I don't know why we share it as a bedtime story, but anyway, it has a good ending. (laughs) Kids, just don't look at them in the fire right now because it's all good. But anyway, they come out of the fire, and as you know the story, it was a miracle, but in the midst of the fire, what did Nebuchadnezzar see? Through some window of the furnace, he saw one like the Son of God. Because it was Jesus who showed up in the fiery furnace to be there with them, to sustain them and help them. And then when he rescued them from it, and Nebuchadnezzar gave orders, like, get them out, get them out, get them out. Not even the smell of smoke on their garments. God is a keeping God. But if he had prevented Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from ever experiencing it, we would never have seen in that case the mighty deliverance and the power of God. And now it's written and preserved for our benefit so that we can be reminded God is a keeping God. He keeps us from, no doubt. But we most often see his great power displayed when he keeps us through, and he helps us through it. God is a keeping God. Look at the next part of the passage, in perfect peace. In perfect peace. Now, in the margin of your Bible, you might want to write down that the word perfect is not in Hebrew. What is in Hebrew is a repetition of the same word peace. It's given to us twice. In Hebrew, it reads, Shalom, Shalom. Shalom, Shalom. And it is written in duplicate because it's written for emphasis, that God is saying, I will give you my peace upon peace. I will give you multiplied peace. I will give you undisturbed peace. This is Shalom, Shalom. That's God's peace. Now, please understand with me that peace is not the absence of strife. Because Jesus even warned us, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. So peace is not the absence of strife, but if we want a working definition of it, here would be one, that God's peace is a deep down calm and quiet confidence of the soul. And it comes from the presence of the Lord because Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself is our peace. So when everything's going crazy in your life and bombs are exploding in your life, To have God's peace means that you have this calm, this deep down calm and this quiet confidence in your soul that God gives 
Jesus even said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus even acknowledged there in John 16, the kind of peace that he offers us is, is not the peace you will find in this world. The peace of this world is very circumstantial. You're at peace when everything's fine, and then you and I are terrified when everything's not fine. And God's peace is this constant, so that whether life is great or life is hard, there's this constant abiding, deep down calm and quiet confidence in our soul. And I love the way that Isaiah describes it a little further in his book. Listen, you don't need to turn there, but Isaiah 48, listen to verses 17 and 18. He says, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. And he says this, this is Isaiah 48, 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. I love that. That's chapter 48, verse 18. God says, if you'll only listen to me, obey me, if you only will receive from me, because I have your best interest at heart, I'm your loving Father, if you will obey me, my peace will roll into your life like a river. Like a river. This is the very thing that Horatio Spafford was referring to in the great hymn of our faith, It Is Well With My Soul. When after the tragic death of his four daughters at sea, Horatio Spafford chartered a boat, went out to the spot roughly where the ship sank and his daughters died, and he wrote, It is well with my soul. And he starts out that song by saying, When peace like a river attendeth my way. It's Isaiah 48, 18. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, now, what's the difference between a river and sea billows? The difference is that a river is constantly flowing, constantly. Sea billows are waves. They come one, delay, delay, delay. They come again, delay, delay, delay. That's the nature of sea billows. But the nature of a river is constantly rushing, constantly flowing. So Horatio Spafford understood. He said, in the midst of my despair and my pain, I understand the difference between the way that sorrow comes one at a time in waves and the way that God's peace is constant. It's constant. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your constant, ever-flowing river of peace. That's the difference. This is the kind of peace that we can have. The peace like a river, which is why then he can write the rest of that passage in that song, whatever my lot... Whatever happens, good or bad, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. He didn't deny the sorrow. He didn't pretend the sorrow wasn't there. He said, but the sorrow comes in moments, in waves, but the peace of God flows constantly like a river, and that, that is what will sustain me. God has his shalom, shalom for us, his perfect peace. But now, listen, this part is on us. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. A New King James and ESV says, him whose mind is stayed on you. So that's the idea here, that a steadfast mind is, is a stayed mind fixed on God. Now, why is this so important? Because if, if you don't wrestle with the mind and get the mind together, Okay, you will not be able to enjoy and experience God's perfect peace. 
See, God is a keeping God, and he's got a double portion of his peace. Shalom, shalom. But the part that is on us is to keep our minds steadfast. The Hebrew word for mind is yetzer, and it means thoughts and imaginations. And all of us have wrong or bad thoughts and imaginations. All of us do. I'll, I'll go ahead and confess mine, and if you want to tell me years later, I'll use it for the last service. But I'm the kind of guy, and I'm not proud of it, I'm just saying this is something I have to work on hard. I'm the kind of guy that what comes into my mind when something looks like it could go wrong is the first place my mind goes is the worst case scenario. That's where my mind goes. Now, some of you are chuckling because you're in my support group, aren't you? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So, so some scenario comes about and then immediately your mind goes to the worst thing. And so you, you, you begin to, and some of you might think, well, Pastor G, I, I thought you were a positive guy. <laughs> I am. I'm positive something bad is going to happen. <laughs> and, and I have to wrestle with it constantly. Now, listen, I prayed about this years ago, and the Lord helped me to identify the root of it. And I'm going to tell you what the root of it is. When I was a kid, I was told devastating news that I was unprepared for, and it rattled me. And so without even knowing it for years, subconsciously, I just then deferred to thinking worst case scenario. And here's, and here's what I thought subconsciously. I thought if I could prepare myself for the worst news, then I will at least be prepared. If it doesn't happen, then great. But if it does happen, then at least I'll be prepared in some way. Anybody ever thought like that? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. Confess with me right now. Let me see a show of hands. All right. So here's what's going on, though. 95%, and it might be 99%, but I'm just that kind of guy. 90, <laughs> 95% of the time never even happened. And I wasted a whole lot of time thinking about the worst-case scenario. So here's what has to happen, because I don't know what you might wrestle with in your mind, but I guarantee you every single one of us, without exception, wrestle with some kind of thoughts that we need to make steadfast. It might be thoughts of fear, anxiety. It might be thoughts of lust or anger. It might be thoughts of bitterness or revenge. It might be thoughts of self-harm or unforgiveness. You name it. All of us have to understand this, and this verse is going to become your very best friend. It has for me over the course of my life. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Write it down. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. The mind is a wonderful thing. It is one of the most complex organs and God has designed a very complex and wonderful organ, our mind. But left unchecked, left unbridled, our thoughts can play games with us. And our thoughts can rob us of our peace. So God says to us, I'm the keeping God. I've got a double portion of my peace, shalom, shalom. But here's your part. You need to fix your mind on me. That's what he says to us. You have to fix your mind on me. The Hebrew word for steadfast is somak. It means to lean, to rest, to lie hard, to prop. We need to prop our minds 
on the Lord. So that in our everyday routines, we're washing the dishes, we need to think about the Lord. We're driving to work, think about the Lord. Get into his word, think about the Lord. Constantly just be thinking about the Lord and dwelling on him and taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ so that we shall not be robbed of God's perfect peace. Because an unbridled mind will rob us of God's perfect peace. And then the rest of this passage has to do with trust. So I'll just kind of highlight the rest of it. I'll underline the words trust. You will keep in perfect peace, God, him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. And I love the way that Isaiah ends that passage describing God as a rock. He's a rock, and he's our rock eternal. The rock is a picture of one who is dependable, that he will never fail us, that he is strong and mighty. So Isaiah says, trust him. Trust him. He's the rock eternal. But there's a tricky thing about trust. Trust requires faith. Sometimes it's hard to trust because trust implies that something is not always tangible. And so God calls us to put our faith in him and trust him. You know who are the most wonderful examples of faith and trust? Children. Because children are so quick to trust. They're easy to trust. And, and because they're so quick to trust, we actually have to warn them as parents. Now, you know, stranger danger, don't talk to strangers. And, you know, don't take candy from people you don't know. And all that kind of stuff. It's terrible, but we live in a dangerous world now. So we're always trying to temper our kids' trust. But we, we want them to be trusting people. But then we're like, you know, be trusting people, but don't trust anyone. You know, and that's the kind of thing. And it's this mixed message that we're sending. But I just love the way that kids are just such a perfect picture of trust. And the reason that they trust so easily, listen to me on this, is because because they always give the benefit of the doubt. You've done them no harm, so they have no reason to distrust you, you see. That's why they're so trusting. They always believe the best in another person until that person were to ever spoil that trust. And so the kid stands on the edge of a swimming pool with the inflated water wings pulled up to their armpits, ready to go. And mom or dad is in the pool, in the water. He's like, come on, honey, come on, come on, jump, jump. First time in the pool, come on, you can do it. Daddy's right here, mommy's right here. We got this, you'll be fine. And then they take that plunge off of the edge of the swimming pool. And they come up spitting water, and you're holding them and hugging them. And they have this smile on their face because they realize that, in fact, you were there. You, you were reliable. You said, I got you, it's going to be okay. And they trusted you, and it was. And that's the way we need to be with our Father in heaven. We need to always think the best of him. He's never done anything to break our trust. He's never lied to us, deceived us. He's always been there for us. And he's the one in the water saying, come, come to daddy. Come on, I got this. I got this. I got this. Oh, may we learn from children to trust our heavenly Father in the same way. God's got this, church. So trust him. Let's say this verse together, uh, and th which is what trust is, the firm belief in the reliability of God. It is believing that he loves you, that he's good, that he has the power to help you, that he wants to help you, and that he will help you. So let's say this verse together and out loud, can we? You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. 
Thanks for tuning in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah here on Cornerstone Connection. We're glad we're able to bring you these teachings straight from God's Word. But we're even more glad you chose to spend time with us today. We love hearing from our listeners. So please give us a call if you have a moment and tell us how you've been impacted by this ministry. Our phone number here is 703-771-1500. When you call, let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. If you missed any part of this broadcast or would like to explore more of Pastor Gary's teachings as he's been working his way through the Bible, we invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our entire archive is available there along with companion study resources. Just look under the teachings tab. You can also download our mobile app to connect with scripture whenever and wherever you happen to be. There's a link to that under the teaching tab or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us at Cornerstone Chapel for our weekly services. You'll find more information at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's study of Isaiah. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.